We need to talk about ideas, good ones and bad ones. We need to learn stuff about the world. We need an honest, intelligent, thought-provoking, and entertaining review of what the hell happened on this planet in the last seven days. We need to sit back and listen to the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove. Welcome back, dear listener, to this special episode. It is episode 122. It's the 15th of November. To discuss today's important events, uh, we have uh, a three-way conversation. Myself, uh, the Velvet Glove, and Paul, the 12th man. Welcome, gentlemen. Welcome. G'day, Trevor. Congratulations, Australia. Yes. <laughs> so, dear listener, if you're listening to this in the future, uh, today was the day where the plebiscite on marriage equality was returned. We got the results, and it was a 61% in favour of yes, and 38% said no. So, Scott, you've I got some thoughts, no doubt. And yep. just say, yeah, I do have a few thoughts, but um, I would just like to point out that Tony Abbott has been denied his moral victory for traditional marriage. He often he said that if he got to 40% voting no, that that would be a moral victory for traditional marriage. He didn't get 40%. It's over for him. And then there's a comment that was probably too late to uh, share with you gents, but it was from uh, the Crikey edition, uh-huh. and it's headed up, comment, Game over. Abbott now resign. <laughs> anyway, I read it, and That's it is not going to happen. Powerful. I know it's not going to happen, but still, in all, one can one can always hope that he would go. I reckon thirty eight thirty eight point four percent is a pretty good result for the no campaign. Yeah. I mean, it's not yeah, it was, it, not it insignificant, it, is it? Yeah, I mean, that's it wasn't his... insignificant, but it was it was it was nice that we denied Abbott his moral victory. Wow. You know, that was the, that was the thing that if, was really powerful. If 40% was a moral victory, yeah. I reckon 38.4 is close enough. Myself. No, it's not close enough. It's, it's fine. <laughs> well, dear listener. It is four, ridiculous 4. That, we, that we still couldn't convince 38.4% of the population, though. You know. 4,873,000 people said no. That's a lot of people. I know there's a lot of people that said no. But it'll be, it'll be interesting yes. to see uh, the analysts break it down and try to figure out uh, exactly who did say no, because uh, obviously it's too early to say yet. But the the electorates that uh, had the highest no vote were, they say, mostly in Western Sydney. Yeah. Which, which is, is primarily working class and uh, migrant um, yeah, migrant populations in Western Sydney, they suggest, uh, moved it along that way. Um, I'd suggest that it's a, I'd suggest that it's a, uh, you know, if we want to point fingers, seeing this is the Iron Fist and the Velvet Glove, it's probably the Islamic uh, people that out there that voted no. Although they're only a minority of the overall population, so we can't... Um Oh, that's Leverage true. Yes, too much yep. blame on them. Yeah, Even, for example, well, speaking from my own experience, um, with, say, Christian Lebanese would mm. be quite... Uh, even young people in the Christian mm. Lebanese community yeah. would be quite likely to be in favour of... Not to mention Hindu Indians. Yes. Quite likely, I, I would imagine, don't really know, but I imagine some of them probably uh, conservative. Yeah, mm. yeah. 
Anyway, I think it's. I think what it's what it's coming down to. If you if you just want to look at the demographics of the area that uh, we're looking at, Western Sydney is working class and that sort of stuff. So we're probably going back to the old um, conservative, like conservative people who financially aren't conservative. They might be conservative with their social views and that type of thing, but they're not social. They're not conservative. Uh, for government expenditure and and whatnot, they are very much down the line. They're probably, you know, if the DLP hadn't have imploded, they are probably going to be likely um, to vote that way. I was just going to mention the DLP, the old you know Catholic Socialists yeah. of the Labor Party. Yeah, exactly. Yes. Yeah. Well, mm. they've all crossed over to the Liberals, but I think it's I think it's pretty clear <laughs> it's an immigrant thing that's driven the Western Sydney vote for the no vote because there's lots of um, you know districts that have got high working class populations in other states but it's that peculiarly peculiarly you know western sydney mix of of recent immigrants that's mm. really come home strongly with, yeah. with well it's the quite no a vote. diverse area in terms of the ethnic mix mm. so you know like i would have thought prior to the result that Queensland would be Hicksville on this one and the one most likely to have the highest no, no vote. Would, would you have exactly, so? but we're not. No. We are... We're not. Um, we are... Th- Queensland was uh, 60.7 were in favour. Yeah. New South Wales was the uh, lowest yes vote with just... 57.7. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Highest Which one. It, did surpri- it really did surprise me the way New South Wales did vote entirely. Hmm. Um you know, it was it was it was very it was very heartening to see that Tony Abbott's electorate uh, voted seventy five percent yes. Yes, <laughs> I would very much like uh, some of our um, better journalists to interview Tony Abbott and ask him if he feels that he's still truly representative of the people in his electorate. <laughs> and he'll say yes, and he'll just keep going on <laughs> as he does. <laughs> Won't hold him back at all. So, uh, so what anyway, what seat is he from again? He's, um, what, what seat is he is from? It, is it from? Oh, it's uh, Warringah, Is it? Is it? Is it? Warringah, I don't know if it's yeah, called Warringah, Yeah, Yeah, I think it includes yeah, Manly. Seventy-five percent. It's yeah. in the Manly area. Yeah, that northern beaches, Sydney northern beaches area. Hmm. And Wentworth, which is Malcolm Turnbull's seat, was eighty point eight percent. Yes. Right. That's unsurprising. Yeah. Hmm. No, it's not surprising at all. Hmm. Um, so anyway, that's uh, the result, which is kind of in line with most of the polling of recent times. Uh, so much for the um, theory from the Twitter poll. Remember, we read the one that said yeah, that we, uh, based on Twitter um, tweets uh, and extrapolating that out, it, it thought it might have been close to 50-50. So, so much for the, the Twitter theory of, of surveying anyway. Exactly. It's... Mm. Um, I think it's a it's a it's a big uh, reward for the um, traditional. Uh, what's the word I'm groping for? The traditional survey people. Mm. They've hit the nail on the head again. They've, you know, they were they were predicting between sixty and sixty five. Well, it came in at the lower end at sixty one point six. So, you know, it's a solid yes vote and that type of thing. That's there's no doubt about that. So. Mm. You know, it's um, and I was also pleased to see this was on Facebook. It was um, out in Perth, which is a 
it's a gay publication, but they said that uh, Senator Patterson has withdrawn his bill. So that was the alternative conservative bill that he had drawn up. Really? He's withdrawn it. Yeah, that was interesting. Yes. He has withdrawn it. Yeah, it made me wonder why he um, gave it up so easily. Well, because he's, 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 he said that um, he said it's become apparent that the majority of his colleagues don't support it, so that's it. So, and there was some talk of uh, in, in terms of their electoral prospects at the next election that the coalition really needs to put this to bed, otherwise they're going to look extremely uh, bad to the electorate. And so, Absolutely I think Sen- Senator Patterson, yeah. in his wisdom, probably realised that they just need to get this one out of the way. Otherwise, they're just going to look like a complete rabble. They are, yeah. And that, that's, a, that's exactly what I think is playing on the mind of, of Turnbull, where he said he wants this passed by Christmas. He's got no bloody choice but to pass it by Christmas, you know. Mm. He has to... He's already come out in favour of Dean Smith's bill. Dean Smith's bill has received the most support from members of the Cabinet. So it's, it's going to be Dean Smith's bill. There might be some minor tweaking with it and that sort of stuff. I think that Abetz and others will start with the point saying this is Dean Smith's bill but we've got to include this, this and this for religious freedom. That'll all get knocked back. They'll have to throw them something so they'll give them something out of it but it'll be Dean Smith's bill basically. Yeah. Yeah. Relief to bakeries or something like that. Well, we'll have plenty well, of protection about Baker, that. Baker's well, protection amendment. Um, well, that, so. that's the thing that really gave me the irrits about... Um, about Patterson's bill was that was all lined up there that you said that butchers, bakers, candlestick makers could all knock it all back on the basis of of a person's sexuality. So that was, and I read in today in one of today's, uh, I forget which one it was, but one of the things that you'd sent me, Trevor, that he said that um, he wanted a florist to be able to display a sign that said "No gay weddings, not no gays." <laughs> yes, so. Uh, dear listener, so just to give some background on what we've been uh, rabbiting on about here, so the Dean Smith bill is the one that basically says let's just change the definition to uh, allow same-sex marriage and it increased to some extent uh, the ability for chaplains or uh, um, to... Well, not chaplains. Marriage uh, celebrants. Marriage celebrants uh, yeah. to, who have a religious position to decide not to marry somebody. And it kept the existing exemptions that priests and clergy already have, but is completely silent about um, bakeries and florists and things like that. So uh, so James Patterson is a friend of the, of the podcast. He's been mentioned a long, long time ago. Uh, actually, he's got, I'll just digress at this point because a few people have come out of the woodwork and a few things in the last week... Um, so on four well, corners. He's from the IPA, isn't he? He is. So on four corners last night, they had a big expose on the Liberal Party and how it's been taken over by conservative forces. Uh, they yeah. had a little bit on that Karina Alcatel, who was the woman who yeah. we mentioned, who was referring to um, the closure of a school in the UK due to marriage equality and it had nothing to do yeah. with marriage equality. It closed for other reasons and she was quite um, fraudulent in what she was saying. 
um, and she had a Baptist background, and so did her. Yeah, she her, was lying. Her, her, uh, her husband. And she's high up in the Liberal Party as she well. Is, she is. She's like vice president of the Liberal mm. Party, something. We've had James Patterson come out of the woodwork this week with his special um, uh, bill that he's um, drafted, and we referred to James Patterson a long, long time ago. You know, in the in the early, early episodes, he came on our radar. Um, mainly because of his right-wing views with neoliberalism and he's just straight out of the Institute of Public Affairs um, uh, swimming pool and <laughs> he's just a love child of, of that organisation. And then, Scott, also in the last few days, we've had Christina Keneally come out and she's going to... Yeah. She's going to she's going to contest contesting, um, yeah. John Alexander's seat. So all these characters that we've been mentioning over the last 122 episodes... If you're a keen listener to this podcast, you're across all of these people and what they're up to. So I, I think we've given people good background <laughs> on a lot of the strange players who came out this week. But um, Absolutely. But just getting back to uh, James Patterson then with his proposed draft, what he was saying is... Oh, what was he saying? It, it, that the exemptions, meaning that you could refuse to provide service would relate only to, uh, that were directly related to a wedding service. So you could refuse to provide a wedding cake to a gay couple, but you couldn't refuse to provide a birthday cake to a gay couple. So That's peculiar, okay. isn't it? So he was, to try and, um, to try and, get around the ugliness of, of the discrimination that he's trying to put forward, he had this distinction that uh, it wasn't so much the identity of the people involved, it was the activity that was being promoted by the service provider. And on that basis, uh, you know, you could refuse service. And I mean, I had a look at this bill, and holy smokes, it's a complicated bill. Like, there's a lot of work has gone into it, and it goes on and on about all sorts of yeah. things. It's a, it's a necessarily a very complicated piece of legislation, and anybody looking at it would just take two quick looks and go, "Oh my god, I need to set aside a day just to try and get my head around this." So he'd spend yeah. a lot of time on a very convoluted piece of legislation. So, um, and. Uh, so yeah, so that was his argument was that it wasn't so much about the identity of the people, it was the activity that was being promoted by the service. Of course, the problem with that is the activity, his problem with it is because of the identity of the people involved in the activity. So, um, exactly, a, a yeah. terrible I mean, proposition. I mean, he, 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 but, but absolutely, me. it was. It was ridiculous. It was ridiculous that he was going on with it. But, well, I mean, you'd agree with his proposed legislation. I mean, he was I proposing... I haven't seen it. Well, on its face of it, he was proposing legislation that a bakery or a florist could refuse to provide service to a gay couple for providing something for their wedding ceremony. Mm. Yeah. And well, you know my position on that. I know. My position is that the government shouldn't have the capacity to mandate people's um, personal morality, you know. Yeah. And I, I, you know, I, I believe in free enterprise being free, you know, and 
And, and not only in terms of gay weddings, I, I personally think that um, people in running their own personal private business, perhaps in certain cases, and I, I know there are good arguments against it in terms of public services, transport, things like that. Um, so if it was a taxi driver, no, I don't think they should be able to refuse a gay couple getting in the taxi. But things like... But if um, the taxi was taking them to their wedding... Could he refuse? Well, I don't think so. I mean, in well, terms, the, it's just transportation. The but James the, Patterson the, bill the, the, would have yeah. allowed that because it was really a, yes, because it would have been an activity. Even the taxi. So yes, a limousine driver or taxi driver mm. could not normally refuse a gay couple mm. yeah. service. However, if it was to take them to their wedding, then he could. No, look, I would, I would draw <laughs> the line. The, at, that's the um, crazy nature of this legislation that he's proposing. Yeah, no. I mean, I, I think but marriage celebrants. I, I personally think marriage celebrants uh, shouldn't be compelled to perform ceremonies at anybody's wedding, gay, straight, or whatever, if they don't feel inclined to do to, to provide the service. Oh. I mean, let's but face you would it. compel the taxi driver to take the person. To uh, the... Yeah, because basic transportation is kind of, for me, far enough divorced from the actual act of, you know, marrying somebody. It's and, just carrying and, people and from point A to Making a cake B. isn't far enough divorced from the actual uh, act of well, marrying you know, somebody. We've already been over this, Fist, and I, you know, know my position. I know. But I, I just don't think people should be compelled to provide a service. Um, well, you think the taxi driver should. I'm trying yeah, to find the difference and, here. And, yeah, well, transportation, perhaps, I think you need to make, uh, you know... Well, well, why? So, transportation's well, different to food, to shelter? It is, it is. So, but, so, look, uh, you know, let me, let me say the, uh, the exemption for hotels and motels, I wouldn't, I wouldn't pass that because they're just providing shelter, you know, transportation, shelter, things like that. A, absolutely. a reception house that wants to refuse a gay wedding... Yeah, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Yeah, no, I don't. You would allow it? No, I don't know. If you're going to allow a a cake baker yeah. the ability to refuse to bake a cake for a wedding, then well, surely we, you would. We allow... went over this, and I, I I agreed with you that if it was just an off the shelf, mass produced item, no, yes. they shouldn't be refusing right. service. But if it was a custom built wedding cake, yeah. they shouldn't be compelled to create something that is uh, against their personal will, uh, okay. principles and morality. Okay, I've got it recorded this time, so that's good. <laughs> so I, think the last, I think the last time I got you nailed well, down to that position no, look, you know, was actually off the record. I'm, I'm, now, I'm now against, I've got you recorded. On I'm it. against mandated morality. I don't think the government has any place mandating what people, you know, how should people should conduct their moral lives. Well, a friend of the program, Wayne, who's one of our patrons, contacted me. He's back from overseas mm. and said how much he's enjoying our podcast, Scott. Good. And oh, that's he said nice, that yeah. he agreed with your position, Paul, until I put forward the sort of social contract argument that we say to these people, well, you've got to comply with work by self and safety and you've got to comply with food laws and there's all these other things that we as a society say you must comply with and they're happily complying with them. And we can say to groups, well, if you want to participate in our society and take the benefits, then there are certain rules and regulations and, and rules of the game that you have to comply with if you want to participate. And if yeah. you don't want if you don't like those rules, then don't be in this game. Well you can go and, go you can say the same about um, uh, you know, present day Russia, which is 
in, for all intents and purposes, a dictatorship. They make the rules, uh, and, you know, for those Russians who don't like the way the rules are set up at the moment, you, you, your argument would say that they just have to like it or leave or, ah, or go to prison. Is my rules are legitimate because they come from a democracy, oh, whereas those rules are illegitimate because they come from a dictator. Oh, I see. That's a valid distinction. Well, it is a valid distinction, but I still hold that the government has no place um, mandating people's you know, mor- morality. Well, 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 it has some place, you will concede. It's just where to draw the line. It's difficult to say where to draw the line, but I still, I still don't want any more than I want the church telling me what I can or can't do in my bedroom. I don't want the government telling me what I can or, or can't or shouldn't uh, think in terms of my relations to other people. You in see, the your community. bedroom's private. It's up to you what you do in there. Whereas when you're conducting a business, you're in the public sphere and you're dealing with not, the community. Not, in, not entirely. So that's the difference. I mean, should a should a prostitute be compelled to have sex with whoever fronts up with the money? <laughs> a prostitute. No, come should, on, that's, okay. in the pu- that's in the public sphere. Should a prostitute, some really revolting, stinking man who never bathes, has shock, you know, rotten teeth, and has probably just vomited half an hour ago, and he rocks up with you know five hundred dollars and says. I want your service. She has no right to refuse? Here's what I say. Well, let me answer it this or way. Or he has no right to refuse? Here's what I'd say. With the cake people, the bakeries, we say, look, if you're not happy to provide a wedding cake to everybody and you're happy to provide sponge cakes and birthday cakes but you're going to be discriminating when it comes to wedding cakes then don't provide any wedding cakes. Like just scrub that off your... Well, again, you're, you're, you're telling the person in private enterprise what they can and can't um, in, do in their business. Yes. Do you think that's right? I mean, because yes, I'm saying... Public health and safety is one thing. Because if you want to participate in our community, we can tell oh, you what to do. No, but that's, that's Soviet-style participation in our community. We do it all the time. Like, when no, you're driving don't. down the road, to, when you go home tonight... Yeah. The speed limit's going to be 60k. I'm more than happy to comply with the speed limit. objecting to the community telling you what to do? That, that could make the difference between life and death for it's me for, or other people on the road. It's for the benefit of the community. Refusing to bake a wedding cake is not going to result but, in anyone's but, death. But our, but our discrimination laws are for the benefit of the community as much as our speeding laws are. Well, not in the same sense of public safety they aren't. Anyway, I like the idea of the, of the prostitute one. Can I think about that yes, in absolutely. my subconscious while we move on to other topics and, and we'll come back to them? Because that is an interesting one. Should a prostitute be... Well, my last to... example last time was the, uh, the motorcycle mechanic, right? Yes. And the uh, heavy, intimidating-looking uh, bikey rolls in on his Harley-Davidson says, hey, shithead, fix my bike. Oh, that's easy. You can refuse service to someone who's rude. Well, he says, hey... Hey, hey, man! Hey, hey, dude! Fix my motorbike. And the guy looks at the the mechanic, looks at the bikey, and he thinks, "Well, my son had a really nasty experience with a bikey, uh, you know, a couple of months ago, and I really don't like these people, um, and so I don't want to help them in any way, shape, or form." Was it the Sorry, same bikey? Could you go and find another motorcycle mechanic? Well, that's like saying my son had a bad experience with a black man, so I'm not going to serve a black man now. No, that's different, isn't it? I mean, this is free enterprise. Well, I, I suppose in that sense, maybe he might make uh, an exception with with the uh, the black man, but 
Dear, Look, list, dear listener. I, I, I just think, Trevor, I just think in private enterprise, when you're running your own small business, you should be able to pick and choose in some ways who you're doing business with. I don't think uh, the government should be compelling you to, to deal okay. with absolutely everybody. Okay, Paul. Paul, I think that what you're coming on, you're, you're coming at this... Uh, with a broad brush stroke, I think you've got to be very selective about those areas that a business is allowed to be selective in. And I do think that, um, you know, for example, the wedding celebrant, Mm. I do think that they do provide a public service. They're they're, uh, licensed by government and that type of thing. Therefore, I think that they should be compelled to marry anyone that fronts up, provided it's legal and that sort of stuff. Mm. I do think that then churches and that type of and those type of organisations should be exempt from conducting same-sex wedding ceremonies. But you think that should is something be? That, well, they should be because I think that they I think that churches and whatnot should be exempt from providing same-sex pleading for wedding religious ceremonies. special people. exemption for a religious group. <laughs> Scott. I do think that they should be exempt because they are they have banged on about this for a long time and that's the only part we wanted. They should be exempt. (laughs) Scott. Okay, fair enough. I've been. So why not the marriage celebrant, Scott? Why not the marriage celebrant? Because they are they are providing a civil service that is provided on that they are providing a civil service that is not religious based or anything like that. It could and be if, before the, we go too far, if the couple if requested a religious We say that the religious people should be compelled to provide a same-sex marriage ceremony. Aren't we then crossing the lines between church and state there? Isn't the state telling churches what they can and can't no, say? No, no. The solution is that we say that... Um, that the marriage ceremony is a civil act and, Absolutely. and it's a legal act that we as a society are going to regulate. And, exactly. Uh, we will authorise people... Well, the ideal situation, Scott, is we say that, um, uh, you know, you get married in a, a civil registry and then if you want to have a... Uh, some sort of religious ceremony separate, that's up to you. The same way they do in Europe, yes, absolutely. But we could certainly say, the the alternative to that is to say to these groups, uh, if you want to be able to conduct a legally binding wedding ceremony in Australia as a celebrant or a clergy, you must agree to marry anybody who comes along and you must agree to marry... um, you know, gay couples. If you can't agree to that, then you can conduct your own uh, religious ceremony, which has no legal effect, and your customers will have to make a special trip to the registry office for the legal version. Whereas, absolutely, uh, and I agree wholeheartedly with that. Hmm. I agree wholeheartedly with that because you've. I, I agree wholeheartedly with that, and that's probably the next step we should move to is getting churches out of the business of marriage altogether. Yeah. I think that, um, you know, it was the Presbyterians that said they were going to do this, assuming that assuming that legal that same-sex marriage became legal. Yeah. Let's see whether or not they keep their word, whether or not they back out of providing legal, legal weddings. Excellent point. Why not uh, totally disregard the religious ceremony as a, as a legal instrument and just say, yeah, if couples want to have a, a religious... Uh, ceremony, 
That's perfectly fine, but it has no legal standing and that they do Absolutely. have to pay a visit to the registry office. Mm. I know in Japan, uh, if you just have a religious ceremony, it, uh, it has no legal standing. You right. actually have to go and register your marriage at the city office, the local city office, for it to be recognised. Right, that's in Japan as well, right. And okay, I assume well, that's the it's same. probably that's the case a... in some other countries. It's, the, it's definitely the case in Italy and France, I believe. Um, you know, it just seems that we have borrowed from the English that, you know, you could get the wedding officiated by a church, by a clergyman. Yeah. Anyway, dear listener, this is where the discussion is now, you know, as we predicted, headed as to, you know, pretty much the survey was always going to end up where it ended up. And, you know, several weeks ago, the No campaign had more or less given up on a victory on the survey and they've been scrambling for a position in terms of exemptions ever since. I've got a link to an article here by David Marr. And that was a very good article, wasn't it? Yeah, he had a, discuss- a discussion with Bishop Michael Stead of the hardline Anglican Sydney Diocese. And what David Marr is saying is that uh, that hardline Sydney Diocese and the Catholic Church, who are the sort of ecclesiastical and financial muscle of the No campaign, are not really interested in the sort of um, exemptions that James Patterson was looking for and that they were pretty much going to concede for the Dean Smith version of of an amendment, and just quoting this Anglican Sydney Archbishop, I can't see a tenable way forward of making that case. This is about exemptions for gay bakers, or about exemptions for cake bakers. The problem is, how do you draw the line? Stead concedes a law allowing Christians to refuse to do business with homosexuals would allow anyone to shun black people and Jews. I can't see a way of framing that that makes it sustainable. So David Marr reckons that the big powerful players are not going to push for a James Patterson style bill mm. and will concede with the simple Dean Smith bill. Yeah, that's interesting. It is very interesting, isn't it? And, you know, I do think that, um, and, you know, there was another church, I think, recently, the WA guy. Uh, might have been from the Anglicans, he said that he was going to do what the Presbyterians were suggesting, and that is that if if same-sex marriage is legalised, then they're going to back out of the providing of legal ceremonies, which I think is a great idea, you know. Yeah, who said that? I think it was I think it was a bishop from WA or somewhere like it, it was. He was reasonably high up, and I believe it was the Anglican Church. I know he was from WA, mm. and he said that, yeah. Anyway, but the this, Presbyterians are on the record as saying that they were going to do that. In this discussion between David Marr and this um, Stead character, uh, they were discussing the fact that churches are able to discriminate against people and to sack their employees if they turn out to be gay or, you know, uh, other sorts of you know, unmarried and mothers and yeah. divorced People and stuff like Not that. Not divorced. Uh, well, Catholics. Yeah. Well, yeah. So let me just see. Uh, there's a category here that he checked with him as to who's who's considered um, not appropriate. And uh, uh, let me just find it here. Um, 
open adulterers, the unchaste men or women in de facto relationships, single mothers who have not repented of their sin, plus gay men and women in relationships might all be sacked. And uh, this guy confirmed that they're all part of the list of people who they might discriminate against in employment. You can understand them wanting to sack the unchaste. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so anyway, he's sort of saying, well, on the one hand, you're, uh, you're wanting to maintain your right to discriminate against people. And uh, this guy, Stead, says, well... But, for example, there was a case where a... Um, there was a, a company that had uh, just a normal commercial company and one of its employees tw- uh, on their Facebook page promoted the no case and they sacked that employee and the archbishop is saying, well, that private company should not be allowed to sack a private employee because of activity which the company finds unconscionable but the churches should be able to and the difference was he argued that um, for church groups these sorts of moral issues are intrinsic to their organisations whereas they're not intrinsic for they they would claim that wouldn't they yes they claim to be moral arbiters whereas companies are not and this is the problem in America where that Hobby Lobby case in terms of contraception as part of the health care that um, employers provide, that crossed over to private companies being able to claim a conscience about matters and discriminate as a result. So that's the minefield that America has found itself in, that provided uh, James Patterson doesn't get his way, we will not be in just yet. <laughs> but... You know, the nice thing out of all this will be if people actually start talking about these discrimination issues, if the church keeps arguing for more, then maybe people will say, well, hang on, no, there shouldn't be that sort of discrimination allowed. And and what do you mean there's already this discrimination? I didn't know that. It shouldn't be allowed either. Like, maybe people will turn around and say, well, instead of asking for more exemptions on the basis of faith, you might be at risk of losing some of your existing ones if people talk about it enough. Like, it's possible. Exactly, and I, I, I think that is possible, and I do think that um, as the conversation goes deeper and deeper and once people realise that the church has uh, got their tentacles in everything, you know, because I think uh, David Maher said that they're one of the largest employers in the country. Yes. You know, and once people start to realise that nurses and that sort of thing working in a Catholic hospital can get sacked for you know, sleeping with someone outside of wedlock, then they might actually start to wake up and think to themselves, no, that's not right, you know. Problem is, got an article here from The Guardian and it talks about a poll from Lonergan Research of 971 people. So not bad. That's yeah. a reasonable number. And um, it basically said uh, 49% of people believe... Um, that, you know, essentially bakeries should be able to refuse wedding cakes if they want to for a gay couple. That was their... You must have been in their survey pool. Yeah, they phoned me about 300 (laughs) times and counted me separately each time. 
So there you go, dear listener. According to this Lonigan research poll, 49% uh, believe that service providers who refuse same-sex weddings based on religious views should be protected by law. That's scary. Only 35% disagree and 15% unsure, mm. I'd say. That's so really frightening. On the basis it? of that poll, 49% of people agree with James Patterson. That's exactly. Yeah. And, and but the they don't man. have the training that you have, and that sort of thing. And the 12th man. <laughs> James Patterson and the 12th man. <laughs> yeah, but they clearly haven't read Patterson's law like you have. You've read it and that sort of thing, and you said it was complicated and all that sort of thing. They haven't, they haven't read it, so they couldn't yeah. tell you about it. But See, this is the thing. Like, that is frightening, though. That forty-one percent said that they agreed with it. You know, that's ridiculous. See, Paul would have had to answer that question as a don't know, because I'm sure that the question would not have specified whether the cake was a custom-made artistic extravaganza yes. or whether it was an off-the-shelf cake. And because we have to Paul's, make that distinction. Paul's answer would have differed depending on the circumstances. So, in fact, he would have been a don't know on that one. Mm-hmm. Um, article from John Anderson, former Deputy Prime Minister. Was John Anderson? He was the Deputy leader Prime of the Minister. National yeah, Party. John Anderson. National Party. He yes. was the uh, Deputy Prime Minister after Tim Fisher left. Yeah. Yes. So, he basically uh, wrote an article. Also along the James Patterson line, saying that uh, it's very misleading, actually. Um, Basically saying that this whole marriage equality thing is trying to force uniformity of opinion on the Australian public. Yeah, and I thought that was garbage, wasn't it? Yeah, that we're reaching some sort of communist state because we're forcing a uniformity of opinion on people. And he also trotted out the same argument that it's about the activity of same-sex weddings that exemptions are required, not because of the identity of the people involved. But um, but anyway, uh, John Anderson, uh, just another crazy nutter. Which simply goes to show there are nutters everywhere you look. There's a lot of them around at the moment. (laughs) And, you know, one of the other arguments that comes out in this is the whole uh, safe schools and what we will be able to teach our children. An article here from the Catholic News uh, and... uh, uh, gives this example of Matthew MacDonald and his wife, Julie, who are committed Catholics. The couple are concerned that a future same-sex marriage bill without clear religious protections will leave teachers vulnerable to prosecution under anti-discrimination laws. So that teachers won't be given the same freedom that they have at the moment to teach what we as parents would want them to teach our children. It's complete bollocks. You can teach your kids whatever you like. I mean, if you're factually going to tell them how the law operates, you will need to then tell them, well, the law in Australia as it currently stands, after the passing of this Dean Smith bill, is that, you know, gay people can get married. But we as Catholics think that's a bad idea. You know, there's nothing in the world to stop you from saying that. So it's exactly. complete it, it, nonsense. It's just, just... 
Exactly. It's but really ridiculous. That, part of the and this is where the, this is where the uh, sorry, Paul. No, go ahead. Go on. I was just oh, going to say this part is of the, the thing re- that really gave me. <laughs> After you, Scott. This is the thing that really gave me the shits about the no campaign was this is all they were arguing. They were arguing the whole time that this was going to lead to unforeseen circumstances in schools, which it's not. Yeah. Anyway. Com- completely unrelated. Yeah. No, I was just going to it's say a- part of the reason people send their kids to these, uh, you know, Christian schools and, well, the Catholic schools, uh, from my experience, are relatively moderate in terms of their religious indoctrination, at least most of them. The, um, the Protestant Christian schools are a lot more hardline in terms of what they... They want kids to grow up believing. And, of course, the Islamic faith schools, I'm not, I have no idea about the Jewish schools, but, um, you know, this is part of the, you know, the uh, complex of parents wanting to cocoon their children from what they consider to be corrupting or bad ideas. Mm. 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 Um. Which really is ridiculous because all they're doing is locking their kids away from different ideas yes. and that type of thing, which ends up that blows up in their face as soon as exactly. they're pre- confronted with something different. To deal with the real world. Here's an interesting yeah, scenario. Exactly. Here's an interesting scenario for you, Twelfth Man. Um, uh, this is another article I've got a link to in the show notes, dear listener. Um, Monday nights theology on tap meeting at the Rose Hotel in inner city Chippendale was cancelled after the organiser received an email from the licensee. Uh, It said, I'm terribly sorry to inform you we can no longer let you host your event with us in the beer garden. So the Theology on Tap group used to meet in the beer garden, but their conversations were about um, their objection to same-sex marriage and many of the patrons who had to listen to this rot got up and left the hotel in disgust and so the hotelier has said to the uh, group Theology on Tap uh, not going to have you back here. Goodbye. No, they did offer a private function room to them. Right. Which did was they? declined. Oh, I didn't read that here. Yeah. Well. I, I mean, do you I think, think that's the hotelier... Fair? Do, you, do you think that's fair enough? That yeah, the hotelier... I, think that, I, think, I think the licensee has every right to... Uh, to say who who will you know use the beer garden and for what purpose because mm-hmm. the you know the licensee obviously wants to consider the comfort and amenity of all the patrons, but well in the article when I read it it said they had actually offered them a private room, uh, uh, which they thought might be more suitable to them having their own sort of um, you know discussion about whatever they wanted to talk about without upsetting other patrons and and without being upset by other patrons who might be... What if they said, well, last week you had a Pauline Hanson group here in the beer garden talking and you let them talk and we want the same... We like it in the beer garden. It's much more pleasant. I think it's up to the licensee to decide who he has in the beer garden, frankly. See, the iron fist resolution of that would be to say to the licensee either have... You know, if you're not happy with with a particular political group, then ban all political groups from your venue. So, say to everybody, we just don't have political groups here, because as soon as you start picking and choosing, 
you have a discrimination issue. Yeah, but what about your, you know, you decide to go into the, the bar business and you, mm. you call it the Iron Fist private bar <laughs> and don't you have a right to allow the people that you prefer to no. uh, use your bar and have no. little no. friendly little no so i can't chat groups for example a black man walks in the door i can't say no blacks a gay couple walks in i can't say no gays okay a um a political organization a group comes in, in and, and you, says you can't say no nazis a a, a a theocracy on tap group walks in and says we want to have our meeting here in the beer garden, I say, you can't because I don't allow any political groups in the beer garden. Again, you know, I go back to the principle of in private enterprise, you should be able to choose who you're selling your services to uh, to some reasonable degree. And, I mean, if I was running the pub and, uh, you know, a bunch of um, banditos rocked in and said, we want to have a banditos <laughs> meeting, I would say, well, sorry, gentlemen, but... Um, no, I think it might sort of disturb the general ambiance of my establishment. I'd, I, I, I'm going to decline you. You, you could, you could, provided you banned all bikey groups, I think you'd be I okay. I probably with would that. anyway. Yeah, but. I think I'd be okay with all bikey <laughs> groups. Yeah. So, anyway. well, you see, that's one of the nice things about the rules under Queensland at the moment is that you can't allow bikey groups anyway. So that makes it easy. Not for more you. than two anyway. That's right. Yeah. Two, what is it? Two at a time? Or th- yeah. Right. Two more than two at a time is considered to be a meeting, yeah. Yeah. Uh, let me see where we've got up to. So we've done James Patterson. We've gone out of order on a few things here, dear listener. I'm just quickly flicking through uh, some bits and pieces. Oh, so, so okay. So that's, that's a complicated debate, or it can be, as we've seen just between ourselves. Well-meaning and friendly though we are, we disagree. <laughs> so... I'm not convinced just yet that the hardline Christians are not going to cause a ruckus over this. And while Malcolm Turnbull might have, you know, put his foot down and said, forget it, James Patterson, I, these people are committed. They're motivated. They're, they're, they like being martyrs. They'll throw themselves under a bus they, if they need to. Okay. They are committed. They are strong and that type of thing. But they don't have the numbers in the party. They have a loud minority down there, mm. led by Erica Betts and Tony Abbott and Matthias Corman, for sure. But these guys have all seen the writing on the wall, and they have, I, I believe it was, uh, it was Deep Throat when he was emailing the group this afternoon. He said that um, Abetz and Corman and that sort of stuff had rolled over and said, well, we just got to amend, um, we just got to amend Dean Smith's bill now. Now, I don't think they're going to be able to get the sort of amendments through Dean Smith's bill that Patterson had in his bill. You know, that would be ridiculous. That's why I think that we'll end up... Sorry? They could still throw in enough amendments on the Dean Smith bill to make it all a messy fiasco. So, just because they've abandoned James Patterson's bill. If that happens, then the Labor Party will walk away from supporting the Dean Smith bill. And then the whole thing won't get passed by Christmas, and then Turnbull will look like a dead duck. Mm. Well, so the numbers are know, so fine. I, I would. You just need Labor plus Malcolm Turnbull to vote for the Dean Smith bill. So I exactly. Suppose, yeah. 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 
Wouldn't it be a know, case it, of the, the hardliners in the, uh, in the coalition would be given the choice between making a big fuss over this and risking casting the party into political oblivion or just saying, well, we might just have to live with this they one. They don't care and... about political oblivion. I think they are so motivated, these people, that they're prepared to throw I themselves think, under a bus. You're dead right on Erica Betts, for sure. He's an idiot. And, um, you know, he is prepared to throw himself under a bus to, to prove a point. But, you know, Abbott, as a bigger moron as he is, he is a pragmatist. He understands the way, you know, he can see it now, surely, 75% of his own electorate voting against him. Surely he can see it now that he can't continue to back it the way it has been. Remains to be seen. He, he will not. He will not vote for the Dean Smith bill in its current form. No, he he won't. I agree with you, and that's fine. But he'll find himself looking for a job after the next election. No, he won't. He'll just get pre-selected again, and he'll be back in there. Yeah. Yeah, but that's oh. that's assuming that you've got to remember that the seat that he sits in, which is Warringah, mm. uh, he was only saved by Malcolm Turnbull's personal intervention in the in the last election. Right. Otherwise, he would have been under a bus. Right. Yeah, so okay, so he just might lose. On and the I don't basis think Turnbull's of... in that sort right. of a mood to help him. In. Mm. Did you see the? Well, he'll, with... he'll lose. He... Lyle Shel- Shelton this afternoon. No, no, I didn't see. He it. said, no. "Well, the the Australian public has voted, and uh, we're just going to have to get on with it and just uh, now work for." protections for, you know, religious um, people and um, people of conscience. Of course he did, which means... Which means he's going to... Which is code for, we're going to make big amendments to the Dean Smith bill and argue over them until the cows come home. Although Lyle Shelton is not in Parliament, so all he can do is um, campaign for it. He can't actually pull the levers. Correct. But, you know, the people he has influence over. That's... When he says, oh, well... The people have spoken. We'll just have to make the best of it that we can. Mm. He's really saying, "Well, people have spoken. I don't give a damn what they said, and I'm going <laughs> to. Our side is going to fight as hard as we possibly can to create a whole raft of religious privileges that we can insert into this bill, and perhaps, you know, be in a better position than we've ever been." That's what Lyle Shelton is thinking. Don't, don't take any yeah, comfort from Lyle Shelton. You were taking I... comfort from that? No. Oh, okay, that's right then. No, see, I agree with you, Trevor. I think Lyle Shelton will be an idiot from the sidelines for sure. But what it comes down to, there's only 30, 35 members of that ilk in the party room. That's, um, you know, out of 100-odd that are down there. So that's not enough for them to really put the kibosh on the Dean Smith bill. Mm. I think Dean Smith's bill could be passed unamended, but I think there is going to have to be some sort of amendment to try and curtail the nonsense from the right wing oh look it sounds like uh labor and the independents and enough libs are there to get it through doesn't it it sounds like it absolutely there's enough there's enough there in the liberal party room that they don't need they don't even need to entertain these idiots you know this is one of my arguments too is that you know these guys are opposed to change Therefore, they shouldn't have any part in crafting the alternative to change, because no. they're going to vote no anyway. So I don't think they. Sh- I don't think you should listen to them. We've been a little remiss in our discussion so far, Twelfth Man and Velvet Glove. 
because, mm. um, as is obvious to everybody, uh, Christian Indigenous Australians have warned the government they've been overlooked in the marriage debate. <laughs> uh, their case has been taken up by the Christian legal think tank, Freedom for Faith, which is examining how their communities could be affected if same-sex marriage were legalised without broader protections for religious freedom. Yep. And Nagardub Riches, an elder of the Ariel clan of the Badi Jawi people of One Arm Point in Western Australia, <laughs> I need a rest after all that, told the Australian that protection should be included in any same-sex marriage legislation to help preserve Indigenous kinship structures. Twelfth mm. man, I suspect that... Uh, Shall I quote a bit more before I let you loose? Just, I'll just quote a bit more from another, another article. <laughs> um, uh, so the same lady. Um, we want to see our kinship structure strong. We want to see the family continue to the next generation. If white fellows in Canberra change the marriage laws, that will impact us and it is going to further confuse our people. We don't want to again change the definition of the marriage, the place of the mother and the father. There's got to be respect from both ways. This is part of our culture. It's been part of our lives. It's how we've kept going. So we just, so we can't just change it. Um, blah 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 blah. Is this Listen, Christian Indigenous Australians speaking? Yes, I, th- I think so. It's hard to imagine anything else. Yep. For the life of me, I just can't, could never understand how. Christianity and Indigenous culture could mix. It's an oxymoron, isn't it? Like, if, if you're abandoning your Aboriginal culture if you totally. adopt any Christianity totally. at all. Yeah. You can't possibly have no. the Dreamtime stories it doesn't mix, does it? a Christian story happening together. It's bizarre. Mm. Of course, it's complete nonsense what this woman's saying. That the, the change to the marriage law is going to affect the kinship structures in the Aboriginal communities. It's not what, going what, to what a couple of gay guys do at Bondi, you know, and get married is going to somehow affect the kinship structure of of her tribe yeah. in a remote. It's, a community. Load of, it's it's an absolute load of nonsense, isn't it? It's it's complete garbage. How, how, how dare you, like, under the cloak of... of Protecting Indigenous culture, yeah. yes. Look, I have no idea, but was, was homosexuality um, entertained in any way, shape or form in Indigenous traditional culture? Do you guys know? I, I couldn't know. tell you. Yeah, couldn't I tell I mean, I, I would be inclined to think that the modern, you know, European-style civilised culture has actually liberated homosexual Aboriginals, if anything, yeah. and made their lives a hell of a lot better, mm. hasn't it? I would have thought so. Yes. I, I don't know for certain, but I would have thought so. It has improved their, it has improved their lot in life, yeah. Mm. So there you go. I mean, we shouldn't assume that Indigenous Australians are any more... Uh, you know, homogenous than any other subgroup, it's, subset of Australian that's, culture. That's the thing. The goal of somebody like this mm. to, to claiming to, to speak, speak for all Indigenous people. Yes, yeah. yes. It's just a, the goal of them. Goodness me. 
So that lady, uh, she's um, she's a PhD candidate. By the Is way. she really? Mm. Oh my goodness! Yeah. <laughs> Currently completing a PhD on kinship mm. and basket weaving. No, it doesn't. Just kinship. Yeah, so. we shouldn't we shouldn't <laughs> be too hard on her. But um, PhDs are. Um, I don't know. I, I shouldn't say they've they've been cheapened. Um, not not by her in particular, but PhDs are getting pretty um, easy to come by these days. Is the impression I get, regardless of whatever particular area you you want to specialise in. You know, and the cultural whole studies. You know, this kind of thing. And, and the whole idea that a culture has to remain static, like even if what she said had any element of truth to it. The fact that you know our culture must remain completely static and unchanging uh, that's not how the world works. Cultures really evolve isn't. and transform over time, and yes. they are whatever they are at a particular moment in time, mm. and it's not the case that people have to be locked or cultures have to be locked into a certain way. Who are you to say that it's better this way than it will be in the future? All of these people. Yeah. Yeah. And we can level the same um, uh, case against religious groups, you know, who who want to hold on to old what they see as the 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 original traditional ways of their you know religious community, and you know as we know, religious communities have changed and adapted over the you know over the centuries, over the thousands of years as well, haven't they? Mm. Hey. Um just one other thing you were asking about, uh, whether it's how does Christianity fit in with Aboriginal culture, but another article here, just a um, section I'll read. Um, at the other end of the spectrum are Aboriginal supporters of same-sex marriage, including LGBTI Indigenous people like writer Damien Boyson. He argues that the Uluru Bark Petition misrepresents Aboriginal culture and it's only the voice of a few leaders excessively influenced by white man's religion and influence. Quote, behind these authentic faces that you see holding up these pieces of bark and standing in front of Parliament House, you will find the mechanics of white influence, he wrote in 2015. Uh, yet no vote supporters like petition organiser Pastor Peter Walker say traditional Aboriginal values are in fact quite Christian in their nature. This is a cultural initiative. It is not a Christian initiative, Pastor Walker has said. <laughs> but you can align the two. We have the same values and agree with having traditional marriage. The same values, really? I think they, these people think we are just he's, stupid. He's delusional. He I, must be. Christian values and traditional Aboriginal values are the same? Yeah. Nonsense. I can hardly think of <laughs> values that are less alike. <laughs> but you can't speak because we're a privileged white That's man. That's privileged yeah. white man. Yeah. And and you. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How could you possibly? You've got no standing in this. <laughs> yeah. Totally lost my credibility. Just You should be just ridden with guilt and oh, flogging yeah. yourself in the corner. Oh, I'll yeah. go away yeah. later and do that. But, you know... Um, uh, by the way, just back to the um, the Uluru Statement. Yeah. Remember how there was a call in the Uluru Statement for 
special Aboriginal group to have a special position in our Parliament House. A it's a little bit vague. Consultative body. Consultative, perhaps a right of veto, perhaps not, but kind of like something of a third house to be dealt with. I mean, something like this, a marriage equality, marriage equality vote would have to go not through the, only the House of Reps and the Senate, but also get some sort of stamp of approval from, mm. from this Aboriginal consultative committee. And it wasn't clear, was it? Was it made clear exactly what areas they would want to have some influence over? Was it just to do with Indigenous affairs and would that include... Um, it, it, it wasn't clear, but, but if you can get people like this PhD student saying that marriage equality affects Aboriginal kinship, then, you know, anything's up for grabs as being potentially mm. affecting Aboriginal yeah. issues. Well, we know that, um, in fact, um, there's not uniform agreement on a lot of issues among the Aboriginal community. No, but just back to that Illaroo statement, uh, there was a poll, a central report, a few months ago, the Illaroo statement was released calling for a number of policy measures relating to Indigenous Australians. Do you support or oppose the following measures... And the first one being enshrining an Indigenous voice to the Parliament in the Constitution. How many people do you reckon agree with that? The answer, dear listener, is 45%. 16 oppose. Mm. A special Indigenous voice, group of people, based on race, to have a special privileged position in our society, 45% are in favour. It's quite surprising, isn't it? Surprisingly high. Yeah. I mean, look, I, th I think it reflects a, a general um, high level of uh, sympathy or empathy, perhaps is the better word, among the general Australian community for Aboriginal people. Mm. Um, I would be doubtful that all those people um, uh, are aware of the implications of what they're agreeing to. That's right. That's... Exactly and right. that is one of the that's that's one of the problems that I had with the whole recognised thing was that when it initially came about and they were talking about recognising them in the constitution, I thought that's fine and that sort of thing, but then it went from being a just a cursory sort of recognition to something entirely different. Mm. That was where I drew the line. I thought to myself, no, this is this is going too far. You know, the thing is, then you'll have arguments over who's Aboriginal. Who gets into this group? So Jackie Lambie, who has just had a problem with her Scottish ancestry creating a citizenship issue, she also uh, claims to be descendant of, um, of the Aboriginal community in Tasmania. But the Aboriginal community in Tasmania disagrees with her. They say that she's not. <laughs> so... What happens when she wants to be in this body and they say no? Like, who decides? Apparently it it's, um, depends on getting a number of uh, already established members of an Aboriginal community to agree yes. that, yes, a person does have a legitimate claim to being Aboriginal. Is that how it works? Yeah, I, it can, you can't yeah. just unilaterally that's say, I'm Indigenous, Correct. and that's the end of it. If you're accepted into the community, mm. yes. But guess what? What if your position is a little bit hazy and what your, your ancestry and what if the Aboriginal group doesn't like what you're saying because you're a straight shooter like the mayor of Alice Springs? 
And so the Aboriginal community then says, well, actually, this person's not Aboriginal. They can't be part of our group. It would be interesting. I mean, I don't, don't think they would dare argue that she is an Aboriginal because well, she, for all intents and purposes, looks like an Aboriginal, whereas Jackie Lambie looks more, you know, European heritage. Well, on this, what it... on this podcast, perhaps about 100 episodes ago, Scott, do you remember in America with oh. the Native Americans... Yes, they that's had... right, and there was... They had, a clan, they had a meeting of the tribe that kicked the only woman out that still understood the um, language. Correct. So what yeah. was happening there was the, uh, the tribes make a decent income from uh, casinos and things like that. And, uh, you know, profits get split amongst the tribe members. So if you want to increase your income, reduce the number of tribe members and... There was no appeal to uh, white man's law on that issue. So if the tribe said you're an Indian of the Apache or the Navajo tribe, you are. And if they said you're not, then you're not. You couldn't, you couldn't appeal to the Supreme Court or a state court. And this woman, who was the only living person who could still speak the language, was told by the tribe she wasn't a qualified member of the tribe and beat it out. And there's nothing she could do. This is what happens when you decide things on race. Mm. Racist policies. Yep. It's infuriating. And I think that's our, our main objection, isn't it? It's not that we, you know, that we dislike uh, Indigenous people. It's just that we think this country should be totally not based on race. It should be equal law applying to everybody irrespective of your race. With no special pleading or privileges for anybody based on their ancestry. And that is exactly what Malcolm Turnbull said when he knocked back the, um, when he knocked back the referendum. He said, mm. no, it's not going to work. Yeah. Mm. But did he say why? He said it wasn't going to work because Australians, uh, I forget exactly what he said, but he said basically that Australians did not agree with the notion of uh, race-based uh, representation in Parliament. Correct. Yep. Now he's, he said that he said that you want he wants to see more Indigenous people in Parliament, but you know that on, was about where he on ended. their merits, duly elected. Yep. Exactly. To the regular lower or upper house, as applies to every other Australian. Exactly. Yeah. So anyway, uh, Jackie Lambie, uh, she claimed Aboriginal heritage and. Uh, Clyde Mansell, a community elder and acknowledged direct descendant of Manala Jenna, said it was news to him. That's my family and she's not part of it, he said. Um, blah, blah, blah. So it'll get very messy if you start creating bodies based on race. Is that and the same Mr Mansell who wants to create a, a, a separate Aboriginal state in I, Australia? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's the same one. Yeah, just also back on Native American tribes. One of the other things that's happened over there is that uh, drug companies are transferring their patents to Native American tribes because they're safe from from easy litigation when owned by a Native American tribe. So if you've got a drug patent that's a little bit shaky. 
and it's easy for somebody to uh, take you to court and challenge it under a particular system um, at the Patent Trial and Appeal Board. But if you want to avoid being easily challenged with your patent, then transfer the patent to a North American tribe who will then licence the rights back to you and they can't easily be challenged because uh, of sovereignty laws that apply again. Really? This is what happens when you provide special laws for people based on race. Yeah. That's what's going on there. <laughs> Dear listener, we've paused for a, a, a beer break, but we're back now. <laughs> um, so there we go. Marriage equality and Aboriginal affairs all intertwined. Dear listener, not too long ago, you looked at your podcast app and saw that a new episode of the Iron Fist and Velvet Glove podcast was available to download. Did you silently think to yourself, wait, a new podcast? I like listening to those guys. If so, then you qualify as a potential donor to the podcast. Your donation will help cover some expenses, but more importantly, your donation tells the boys that they are on the right track and to keep up the good work. A dollar a show is all they ask. Go to their website at ironfistvelvetglove.com.au and click on the donations link. Next on the agenda, as if there wasn't enough happening this week, is the citizenship fiasco continues. And as we've mentioned, John Alexander has resigned. Mm -hmm. Jackie Lambie has resigned. And, uh, dear listener, you might remember last week we spoke about the possibility of suing these characters um, under the Common Informers Act and just got a... And I mentioned a particular guy who had started um, legal action in that regard. Just got a link to a, an article. Apparently there's 15 people have commenced legal actions at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> and they're being referred to as bounty hunters. So um, how that yeah. all gets sorted out uh, will be interesting. There's definitely money to be made, but it's going to be divided among so many people, and let me say the it's legal costs will be, be so high that you might not make much. Exactly. Yeah. Ooh. It might be a thing for just a, a legal person, a solicitor or a barrister who can just do it all themselves to just exactly. have a crack at yeah. it, I think. Um, for your average man, it's not going to be worthwhile. But anyway, there you go. 15 people having a shot at it. Maybe some of them are listeners of the podcast, Scott, and they've just... Take <laughs> dear, dear listener, don't take legal advice from a podcast, especially this one. No, but maybe some of them no. have and decided to give it a crack. So, yeah. Uh, what else have we got here? Oh, um, Atheist Convention cancelled due to lack of interest. Yeah, that struck me as a little bit strange, that article. But um, I, I don't know if it was lack of interest or whether it was too bloody much that they were asking for the tickets. You know, it wasn't, they weren't cheap. No. Well, the headline and, I'm quoting uh, is from Eternity magazine, so they've described it yeah, as okay. lack of interest. As lack of interest, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it was pretty steep prices for the tickets. Yes. And you weren't happy, 12th man, with Clementine Ford being I wasn't one of the. happy about her being on the bill. Yeah. Um, so I'm not a big fan of Clementine. Mm hmm. Um, I, I couldn't, for the life of me, fathom why she was included in such an illustrious lineup of speakers. Yeah. 
And uh, in fact, I, I, I would guess there were other people out there sort of scratching their heads and wondering what, why she was there. Yeah. But um, look, I, I just think atheists as a group are not a group, you know what I mean? I mean, the only thing they really have in common is lack of belief in, uh, you know, fairies. And, Supernatural. Yeah. Yes. Um, but what else unites us? Not much, mm. necessarily. Mm. So why would we go to a convention to listen to people talk about things we already agree with? It's, it's like preaching to the converted, in a way, isn't it? Well, people go to church and listen to things True. that they all ag- already agree with. So mm. why do they do that? That's a very good question. Because they get a sense of being part of a tribe... Part of a community, yes. And but atheists don't have that burning need to be part of an atheist community. <laughs> it's like cats and dogs, isn't it? It's sort of like, you know, is, is a congregation of religious people like just a bunch of puppies just, you know... Yes, um, whereas atheists are more like cats. Yes. And they prefer to do their own thing. Yeah. Yeah, perhaps that's a good analogy. I don't know. So... Um, Look, I wasn't all that surprised, to be honest, no. that it just didn't get up. I mean, you know... Considering the expense and considering the dispersed nature of Australia and, and the considerable distances people would have to travel and the, mm. and the expense involved. Mm. I mean, if, if, if it had been held in Brisbane, I would have bought a ticket like that. Yes. But yep. Melbourne? Yep. And, you know, like, some of these things... I mean, a lot of these speakers, if you want to hear them... They're on YouTube. They're on YouTube. Are they really going to say anything particularly different to what you've already heard? I doubt it. And I like things to be relevant to the Australian experience. So I think one of the things we offer on this podcast is that we're at least giving something very Australian for an Australian audience that's dealing with our topics of the day. And the likes of Salman Rushdie and that, I would imagine would talk at a more global level of things that they're already speaking globally about on YouTube. So, As you said, yeah. yeah. Why would we pay money and travel vast distances to hear what we can hear on YouTube? Yeah. It's got you sent around an email about something coming up, some convention or something. There's or, a... Uh, Majid... How do you say his Majid name? Majid Nawaz. Nawaz, yes. He's uh, going to be giving a talk on the... I don't know, the March sometime next year. Yeah. yeah. And there were a couple of other ex-Muslims on the bill as well. Yeah, there's three of them there. There's there's a couple of other ex-Muslims. One of them's a woman and um, the other guy, I couldn't tell you what his name is. Yeah. Yeah. You're going to go? I'm going to go, yeah. Are you going, Paul? Yes. Right. Okay. And Craig and Anne are going too. Right. Okay. Um, so, yeah. Uh, anyway, the Eternity magazine... Um, gives it as a headline of uh, cancelled due to lack of interest and then at the very end um, makes the point that meanwhile Australia's largest Christian gathering Hillsong Conference in Sydney has seen increased attendance over the past three years. Hillsong Church reported in its 2016 report uh, that the 2016 conference had attendance figures of more than 31,000 up from 22,000 in 2014 so Hillstrong aren't struggling for attendees. Mm. Yeah. Scott, Trans-Pacific Partnership. <laughs> it's not going to die, is it? <laughs> it's, 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 I've said it before, Scott, language warning, dear listener. 
It's a fucking zombie that refuses to die. <laughs> it's Trans-Pacific Partnership. We just can't kill it. So the US has pulled out, but Australia, with Japan, is just telling everybody else, well, come on, we've got to do it. And Trudeau um, was a notable no-show, wasn't he? Yeah, he was a no-show for a reason I haven't really quite worked out yet, whether he was not too sure busy getting his has. hair done or something, I'm not sure, but... It's a bad idea, a Trans-Pacific Partnership. Dear listener, if you don't know why, you know, search on our website and there are many, many episodes on that that essentially you are giving multinational companies the ability to ignore Australian law yeah. and sue us if we should perhaps try and tell them what to do. Like the tobacco companies tried to do with the Australian government. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And a number of companies have done against Canada, so fracking companies have sued the Canadian government because of environmental legislation and they say, well, you can't do that. We've got a free trade agreement that says we're entitled to trade uh, in your area mm -hmm. and costs a bomb to defend. Uh, New yeah, Zealand... too, in a lot of cases. <clears throat> New Zealand, uh, we mentioned that they've got an openly non-religious... Agnostic? Um, mm. Prime Minister, and they're looking at changing their prayer to get rid of uh, references to God, etc., in their thing. So that's on the agenda for the Kiwis. Um, it's gosh, it's a strong opening prayer. Like this is how their this is how their Parliament opens every every day. Almighty God. Humbly acknowledging our need for thy guidance in all things and laying aside all private and personal interests, we beseech thee to grant that we may conduct the affairs of this house and our country to the glory of thy holy name, the maintenance of true religion and justice, the honour of the Queen and the public welfare, peace and tranquillity of New Zealand through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Gosh. Imagine him to sit through that. Like, I mean, ours is, is almost as bad. It's, it's, hard, it's hard line, isn't it? Well, it's hard to reconcile, you know, a, a prayer to a non-existent person up in the sky with the running of good secular government, isn't it? I wonder if people claim that Christianity is, is in line and with, in accordance with Maori culture. That, that would be interesting. Look, yeah. I, I would hazard a guess that there would be a you know, certain number of Maori pastors over there claiming that uh, you know, Christianity is exactly in line with Maori culture. No doubt. <laughs> no doubt. The Vatican apparently has had a practice of selling cigarettes in its duty-free shops and supermarkets which it can do because it's essentially a sovereign state of its own and has been making approximately 10 million euros a year in profit from the sale of cigarettes in the Vatican. <laughs> That's not bad. Not bad. 10 million euros, nothing to sneeze at, is it? Apparently, they're no longer going to sell cigarettes. They've gone... Even lights? <laughs> <laughs> Even lights looks like they're just going cold turkey on the cigarette selling and they're going to have to find 10 million euros from somewhere else in the meantime. But right. uh, there you go. I don't think they're, they're, they're short of a quid. 
So they'll, they'll survive. Up until now, they've just been making hand over fist, selling poison sticks to people. But that's okay, yeah. because if you die of lung cancer and you're a good Catholic, you, you go to heaven. So well, it's no, no, no big um, deal, really, is it? Well, true. I mean, this is the point. If you're religious and, and, and people die, it's a good thing. And so in relation to that recent shooting in America in the church... One of the compares on Fox News had this to say. Governor, you know, we've been reporting this shouldn't happen in a church, but I was downstairs talking with some people that work here that um, we all talk about our faith and we share the same beliefs. We were saying there's no other place we would want to go in that, other than church because I'm there asking for forgiveness. I feel very close to, to Christ when I'm there. So I'm trying to look at some positives here and know that those people are with the Lord now and experiencing eternity oh. and, and no more suffering, no more sadness anymore. Um, but on that note, did you talk to any of the people that were there when you were at the vigil? Any personal stories that you want to share with us from what happened inside the church? So that's from Fox News commentary. If you're going to get shot uh, in church praying, it's as good a place as... <laughs> it's probably a better place than most, really, isn't it? And if you look at it that way. I mean, you can laugh on what the one hand, but if, of... but if you accept the faith and, and what they are believing in, she's actually correct. I mean... Yeah. So she is correct, and you, you may recall a little while back that uh, appalling massacre of schoolboys and teachers in Pakistan. And the um, apparently the orthodox Muslim view is that a child just goes directly to heaven. So they were saying, yes. uh, you know, it's okay to murder uh, schoolboys because they, they're they're young and innocent. They go straight to paradise. So you've actually done them a favour. Yeah. Yep. Never mind the grief of their families. What a and the yeah, theft of their, of manure, their lives. isn't it? Hmm. Makes sense. Hmm. Uh, um, Pope Francis is considering ending celibacy, celibacy laws in Brazil, basically because they can't get enough priests in Brazil of all places. Yes. So. Um, so, yeah, they're finding it tough to get enough priests. And normally in places where they're finding it tough, they get uh, priests from uh, low socioeconomic countries. Africa. But, but nobody can speak Portuguese. They can't get enough Portuguese speakers from other countries. So, uh, so they're about thinking of... Uh, Angola and Mozambique? Yeah, I didn't they speak Portuguese there either. So um, for expediency reasons... Church is looking at perhaps making, uh, putting an end to celibacy at least as far as Brazil goes. So I know where they could get some priests. Uh, East Timor. Uh, These are former Portuguese colonies, right? And East Timor, Macau, yes. Angola, Mozambique. Maybe they don't want to move to the to Brazil to the deep dark jungle. I ima- of, imagine of Brazil. Brazil would be a lot more lively and. Well, fun not, than East not in Timor. the jungle areas that they're wanting to send them to. Oh, I see. I don't, I don't think it's the beaches. Oh, they're not going to Copacabana. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I don't think so. Um, we got a message from our friend, um, Mr. Hardbottom, Landon Hardbottom, <laughs> sent us a message. It's always good to oh, get. Oh, did we? Yeah, it's always good to get. Um, 
links and, and articles from people. Um, for those of you, you know, new to the podcast, who may not have heard uh, Landon Hardbottom. Uh, we'll play one of his clips here. This is from Landon from oh, episode 97, I think, maybe. I've just listened to your podcast about private schools, and I must say I'm appalled. If we don't continue to fund private schools, we won't have an audience for the ballet or for the opera. I mean, who will play polo and rugby? Where would we be without rugby? What are you thinking, man? <laughs> That's Landon. Actually, he's got a good one on free speech as well. Oh, he's got this one. Fist, glove, hard bottom here. Well, you two pinky lefto communist hippies have really crossed the line this time, and I can't allow it. Railing against the free speech of an anti-vaxxer just because he wants to save the public purse the expense of vaccinating little consumers, uh, I mean children? Well, have you thought about your free speech? It may well be preventing Catholics from entering the glory of heaven and spending eternity worshipping God, sitting around on clouds and playing harps. If the Muslims want their virgins, let them have virgins. If the Buddhists want to spin the wheel again, well, spin, spin away. If Ganesh is hungry, let him eat lamb, I say. I'm going to stop you. Cheryl, call the Pope. Fist, glove, you two have not experienced horror until you have experienced the full weight of a hard bottom crushing you. Good on you, Landon. We haven't heard from you in a yeah, while. Thank you very much, Landon. Yeah. Send us something because it just makes our day. There's no doubt about that. But you have sent us a link. Thank you, Landon. This one yeah. is about. Um, remember, Paul Keating Williams, came the right out. The right to die remains a fiery issue. Yes. In Australia, with the Northern Territory the only jurisdiction to have legalised euthanasia, briefly before the law was overturned by federal parliament. The claim was made by Paul Keating that he said that the slippery slope argument was right and that there was pressure from overseas jurisdictions to liberalise the laws and that type of thing. We get down the verdict. Mr Keating's claim doesn't check out. In most jurisdictions where assisted dying has been legalised, little has changed regarding what practices are allowed and or who can access assisted dying. There have been some changes, such as in Belgium, where competent minors can now request euthanasia. In Netherlands, doctors have published guidelines for providing euthanasia to severely disabled newborns, though these guidelines may help doctors avoid jail, the practice itself remains illegal. So, you know, it's it's very true. It's something you and I said when when he when he first brought it to light and that type of thing. We said that it's not a case. It hasn't happened in Oregon in the United States where it's been practiced for donkey's years. Yep, it's yeah, a great article. <laughs> it's very well researched. It goes through all the other jurisdictions that have got uh, assisted dying or voluntary euthanasia laws and details exactly what has happened in each of those jurisdictions. And it's abundantly clear there is no slippery slope. Legislation does not change. And uh, so there you go. Dear listener, if somebody wants to argue with you about slippery slope and assisted dying laws, the evidence is overwhelming that there is no slippery slope. So 
keep that article mm. in your kit bag of arguments. So there we go. Oh, Scott, twelfth man. I reckon we've just about run through everything. Um, I think that we needed to. So yeah. So we've gone way over time again, but um, it's been good. Oh, one uh, more. The <laughs> Oh, was that? Did you? What just, did you got? That's the one you discussed before, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Um, oh, yes. just one. One other one. Uh, listener um, Brett. Uh, sent in a bit of a message about Anastasia Palaszczuk <laughs> and her mm-hmm. Adani veto, dear listener. Extraordinary situation where, because her boyfriend works for Price Waterhouse and was involved in a project to try and help Adani get their loan from the federal government, she said, well, potential conflict of interest, I'm going to veto the loan and... So I can't be seen to be favouring somebody that my boyfriend has worked for. And um, I made the point that we just need to get her boyfriend working for religious instruction classes and school chaplains and we can solve a lot of problems. But, um, (laughs) you know, um, our friend um, Brett is suggesting that she... uh, could read the writing on the wall in relation to Adani, that it's unpopular, and she was just looking for an excuse to kibosh it, and this was a handy excuse that she could use, which sounds about right to me as well. I think it's about right too, because I think she's realised that she's got a hell of a lot more to lose down here in Brisbane yes. if she backs it. So yeah, mm. And she's come out since and said, oh, actually, the reason is don't like the thing anyway, so... Has she said that? Yeah, I believe so, yeah. yeah. Because she's been courting the uh, Central and North Queensland voters, of course, with promise of uh, 10,000 jobs. Yeah, from what? Mining <laughs> and uh, associated infrastructure projects, I assume. Right, but not Adani mining, some other mine. No, Adani, oh. specifically related Palaszczuk to Palaszczuk said Adani. that. Yeah, 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 she said there are 10,000 jobs right. re- uh, related to that project. Because... Yeah, okay. All the the real economists say it's more like 1,500. Yes, yeah. Mm. So she's been saying that in recent times, has she? Oh, I haven't seen her in the last few days. Yeah, I think she's gone cold on it. I think if you asked her now, she might say something like, uh, or it's not worth it and we're... Going to lose more than they win. Yeah, Mm. I think so. I would think so. Mm. Right, Scott, 12th man, thank you for another bumper episode. Dear listener... um, Thank you very much for listening in. Yeah, thank you. Uh, please share. Like, it's great. We've got plenty of likes in recent times for the Facebook page. Uh, what you can do, dear listener, is on our website where the podcast is located, there are timestamps. So, for example, say you particularly liked a segment that we were talking about and it appeared at the 35-minute mark, whatever, that you can actually click on the link and go straight to the 35-minute mark where that segment is. So have a look at the website and see what I'm talking about. So if you're talking to some friends or you want to share our podcast with somebody and you're thinking, oh, it's a bit much to share the whole thing with, with my friends, you can send them a link from the page where the podcast episode is and there's a link there where they can click on the actual timestamp for the particular bit that you thought was worthwhile. So that's good. And 12th Man, you're going to say something? Did you see this on the Secular Party website? No. Jim Blake said, 
Thank you. Always look forward to these podcasts. Thanks, Jim Blake. That's nice to know. So, um, so yeah, dear <laughs> listener, um, share, you know, like us on Facebook, great, but I think the time's coming for a bit more commitment and a bit more sharing. <laughs> time to share the love and tell people about us, and um, <laughs> we need a bit more encouragement that way. So thanks for tuning in. We will catch up with you next week. Bye for now. Thank you. Bye. See Well, dear listener, did you enjoy that episode of the podcast? If you did, I've got a favour to ask. Uh, First up, tell some friends. Let them know about the podcast. You'll be discussing something at some time, and you might be repeating something I've said. And when you're talking to your friends, say, hey, I heard this on this podcast, and it's worth listening to. And maybe pick an episode that you think's a good one and direct them to it. Like, grab their phone and go to their podcast app and search for Iron Fist Velvet Glove and subscribe <laughs> on their behalf on their phone and uh, and just put the word out. The other thing is you could become a patron and support the show. So if you go to our website, you'll see a link to Patreon and there are some different options for subscribing and paying per episode. And really the amount that you pay depends on what you get from the podcast. So there's different levels ranging from $1.50 Australian to, I think, $10 and various ones in between. It's really, what do you think it's worth? Is it worth a cup of coffee? Uh, Is it worth more than that, less than that? Whatever you get out of it, because not everybody gets the same. Maybe you don't listen to the whole thing. Maybe you never talk about it with people. Maybe... You really couldn't care less half the time whether the podcast is there. It just, it'll be different for everybody. So if you get a lot out of the podcast, contribute a bit more. If you don't get much, contribute less. But in any event, you can subscribe there. If you don't like the idea of a regular subscription, the website has a link to a PayPal donation. So you could just do a one-off donation every now and again. So there you go. It'd be good to uh, spread the word, get a few more listeners And that way, look, if we ended up getting more listeners and more money, we could do maybe a second episode or more special episodes, provide some more content. So it's up to you. If you think it's worthwhile, let people know. Thanks.